Listen to WGN Radio's newest podcast, Behind the Badge, Illinois, hosted by David Hochberg. Behind the Badge, Illinois, views current events through the eyes of Illinois law enforcement leaders. Tune in. Visit WGNRadio.com slash Behind the Badge. 720 WGN. Let's get legal powered by the Illinois State Bar Association. Audrey Anderson joining us now from Anderson Attorneys and Advisors. Audrey, happy Saturday. Thanks for uh, chatting uh, with us today. I appreciate talking with you. Oh, hi, John. It's great to be here again. Yeah, for sure. Audrey, I we saw this article in the story, and uh, I think everyone's heart breaks knowing that uh, as many as, I think, eight kids have died in the last eight months under Illinois' DCFS's watch. And that's according to a Cook County public guardian. And I, I think all of our hearts break knowing that these are terrible situations that happen uh, for children who... Uh, through no fault of their own, are, are in these situations. And while recognizing that this agency is understaffed and under, um, you know, funded, it's just a tragic situation all around. I imagine you'd feel the same way. Absolutely. It's got to be horrifying for the caseworkers when this happens. And it's just difficult when you read an article like that because people don't understand how it could possibly happen and how DCFS could not have known that that's what would happen placing those children with those individuals. Yeah. And can you explain a little bit about how that process does work? How do we get to this point? Because I think instead of just shouting at, here's the 10 changes we need, I think we need to understand a little bit about how this process works. Right. Because sometimes in some of the situations, it wasn't necessarily that these children were absolutely in DCFS's care, but sometimes it could be that the caseworker was in the middle of an investigation. So, When an allegation gets called into the DCFS hotline, investigators from DCFS have 24 hours to go to the home, meet with the children to do an initial home visit to see that the children are all right. And then DCFS is required to conduct an investigation within the 60 days. And when you say to make sure they're all right, you mean that they're physically, as of right now, okay, that, that, that all appears okay in the immediate moment before that investigation digs deeper? Correct. So they go there just to make sure that the children have a clean and healthy home, that there's food for them, that the children believe that they're safe, that they're not injured or harmed or bruised in any way. And then if the children appear to be safe after initially speaking with them out of the sight of the parents or guardians, see if they're okay, then DCFS can either leave the children at the home or if DCFS believes that the children are in harm's way and the allegations true, there's bruises on the children or there's not food or anything like that for the children, then the DCFS caseworker can remove the children from the home at that point. I, I just want to ask, and uh, sorry for keeping on interrupting you, but I think this is important to understand. Some people out there might say, look, if someone was called and they go there and look, the kids say, yeah, I'm okay and everything appears fine. Shouldn't we just take kids out of those homes no matter what and just make sure we're all good? I know that that might be a gut reaction people have, but we're often talking, and we've talked about it this show, that not every, not all calls are equal into this situation. Right, exactly. So obviously there are legitimate calls when a child truly is in harm's way. They have been beaten or injured or there's not food or it's there's no heat or something like that in the home. But a lot of times the calls can be made because it's vindictive. Um, an angry neighbor or a former relative or boyfriend, girlfriend, spouse, parent, something like that that just calls DCFS to make the allegation out of spite because it's completely and can be anonymous. 
So DCFS, that's an issue, too. They can't go and take every children because the allegation may not be true, and it's traumatic to remove especially a minor child from a very young child from their parents in their home. Right. Plus, also, where would you put the children? Right. There's just not enough placements for them, not enough foster homes or group homes. You don't necessarily want to take a an eight-year-old out of their home that they've only known and throw them with a stranger, or where else would you put them? Uh, a shelter? There, there really aren't that many options available. All right, so then we have two tracks. So they go into the home, they do this investigation, and they determine, one, either they uh, they need the child needs to be removed from the home, and I think you spelled it out there. Where do the children usually go in that situation? So either they go to a family or a close friend, if DCFS can get them screened in time, like run their backgrounds, see that it's appropriate home, they go see the home first, or... There are foster families, traditional foster families, complete strangers, unfortunately, to these children, but that have been pre-screened and have opened their homes to accept foster children while the investigation or the case is pending in court. And if those aren't options, which I imagine not every time they are, are there facilities? Depending on the age of the child, if they're older teenagers, then yes, there are still very few, but there's still some group homes, but not very many. Okay. So that's where children can go if that's deemed not an okay home to be in. If it is deemed to not be an immediate danger and an investigation begins, what does that investigation entail? So the children stay at their home, and then the DCFS caseworker interviews all everyone at the home, all the adults that live there, all the other children, and then they speak with the children's pediatrician. Uh, if they go to school or a daycare or have... Um, like a nanny or someone like that, a babysitter, speak with them. And then they also talk to two collaterals or two references of the parents, individuals who know the family and have seen the interaction of the adults with these children. And then the caseworker also reaches out to the police department of that town and gets all police reports to see if the police have responded to the home. Or if they've lived in other towns, they reach out to every police department for the town that the parents have lived in to get police reports and do a criminal background on the parents or adults in the home. So this is exhaustive. This isn't just a, a flyby investigation. Right, right. It's it's a lot of work. And the problem is it, it takes time. Right. You know, but while it's going on, say the allegation is that the parents have a substance abuse, like a drug or alcohol problem. For the initial visit, it may hide it. But for the 60 days while the investigation is ongoing, DCFS doesn't provide services to the family. If if the pa- family or the parents need substance abuse services or counseling or domestic violence services or something like that, there's no services provided while the investigation is ongoing. So unfortunately, some of the children uh, that we've seen in the articles, it's during this time period where unfortunately something could happen to them and uh. that they are unfortunately passed away. Right. And we've had high profile cases that in the past. I don't want to go through all of them, but I think people can remember cases where DCFS has at least visited the home and later on a child has passed. Um, it's, it's a horrific thing. So, Audrey, when you look at these two tracks, either the kid is immediately taken out or it's a 60 up to 60 day investigation. Are there calls? Is there any thoughts for something that's a little bit more moderated, like a quicker track of some sort of investigation that doesn't immediately pull the child out, but doesn't wait for all of these background checks and everything. I I don't know what that middle ground is. Are people talking about that? Well, unfortunately, people are talking about it, but there just seem to be no answers. 
the caseworkers, they're extremely overwhelmed overwhelmed and, and overworked. I mean, they have a huge geographical area that they have to cover. And unfortunately, a lot of times, these caseworkers are going to homes. They've never met these families. So everyone can hold up and make good appearances and seem like everything's going well for the first hour. But uh, there's there's really nothing to, to streamline the process or to make it go more quickly. Yeah, I don't I don't know what the solution is to the middle ground. Um, is it, it so like what you're saying? Is it a matter of trying to find the money to hire more case workers, pay them more adequately, a little bit of both perhaps? Right, definitely, because they are overworked. And especially now with COVID or the end of COVID, perhaps, I don't know. But with COVID, the caseworkers haven't been in their offices. They only go perhaps once a week. So a lot of the caseworkers are pretty much just working out of their vehicle, traveling from site to site. Um, sometimes they go by themselves and they try, obviously, their best to do what they can. And sometimes in talking to these children, they're, they're extremely young. Some of the ones that pass away. So it's difficult to talk to a three-year-old to see if they feel safe at home when they don't really understand what you mean by that. Right. Boy, this is an important conversation to have. We already are having some texts from people wondering what might be an okay circumstance to call DCFS or not. Audrey, uh, let's, let's uh, take a break, but we'll chat about that after the news. Okay. Sounds great. Yeah, because I think no matter what, we wanted people to leave with an impression of what is a good reason to call. And, of course, we always want to err on the side of uh, uh, safe safety first. Uh, but we'll get to some of those texts and more with Audrey Anderson. This is Let's Get Legal. It's powered by the Illinois State Bar Association. Audrey Anderson here from Anderson Attorneys and Advisors. And we're talking about DCFS. And, Audrey, we've had some really interesting questions on the text line about this investigative process. And you may not have direct answers for them, but perhaps you have some idea. Uh, someone wanted to know is, why can't the DCFS set up cameras in a suspected home, children are worth that. I imagine there's some privacy laws against that. And again, this is an initial visit. So I don't know. What's, what are your thoughts on something like that? Well, actually, that's a very interesting question and a good suggestion. But unfortunately, you're right. There are privacy issues and everything for DCFS investigation is voluntary on behalf of the parents or guardians of a minor. And so during those 60 days, of course, DCFS is required by law to make the visit and do the investigation, but there's nothing really that a parent is required to comply with it. So wait, really? If, right. Mm-hmm. Are they? Do okay. they have to comply with like that? The, uh, the the case officer can talk to the child without them present. No, they don't have to comply at all. It's all voluntary. But of course, how voluntary is it? Because if the parent or guardian refuses to allow the caseworker to speak with the child or enter the home, then the caseworker will probably come with police officers and remove the child from the home in its entirety. Okay, so, so, there, is the a, okay, so there is a there is an avenue in which then to get the police involved in that. And, we'll, and by the way, we will talk uh, after we're done with this part of the conversation on the flip side of it for people that have wrongly been visited by TCFS and why people need attorneys in those situations. We'll get to that in a moment, Audrey. Someone wanted to know, and I'm not going to read through all the, the these graphic details, but Suffice to say, the 708 seems to have a very legitimate reason to call DCFS about someone that they know. And um, they want to know, I have to report her anonymously, though, and I'm afraid that that won't happen. And I don't know if the texture means that the person will find out who it is. I imagine that's a, a tough choice for someone to make, Audrey. Right, right. It's a very difficult choice. But I suppose if you're extremely concerned 
just any person that makes an allegation to or reports to the DCFS hotline, they're not required to give their name. DCFS investigates all allegations, even if a caller leaves a name or not. So if you do choose to leave your name, like if I call the hotline and say, I'm Audrey Anderson and I'm concerned about well, you know, Jane Doe and right. what's happening to her children, the person does not provide that information to the parents. So the parents who are being investigated by DCFS will never learn the identity by DCFS or whoever made the allegation. It's always, always confidential. Right. So that but, person is, is, can remain anonymous. Right. I do understand, though, if someone's like, this person's going to know it's me. Um, and I guess I would just say to the seven, this is me, not Audrey saying this, is if it's worth it for the child you're describing um, and this person finds out that you're the one that did it, can you sleep at night knowing that even with that, even if they did know it was you who called it in, if what you're describing is, is what has happened, maybe it's maybe that is okay, right, Audrey? That's a tough choice to make, but maybe at the end of the day, it's like, what's best for the kid? Right, it's a def- definitely a difficult case to make because the, the caller or the person who texted or called made an excellent point because sometimes it's only some uh, a, a parent can find out, you know, just based upon the allegation who it might be, if it's a therapist, a neighbor, a family member. So, right, so are you willing to sacrifice that knowledge to protect a child who truly may be in harm's way. Right. And I, I kind of flippantly said, of course it is. I know these are really hard decisions to make, 708, so I appreciate it. What is, is, it, a, is it a phone line? What is it that, that, that people can do to submit that? Is it a 24-hour line if they, if they want to reach out? Right. So DCFS has a 24-hour, 365-day-a-year hotline. I don't know the number, I but think you can I, Google it. Yeah, I think yeah. I have it now. I think it's 800 800- Two five two twenty eight seventy three or eight hundred twenty five abuse. Um, Correct. Okay, and that's at least what I'm pulling so, out from the Illinois.gov site. Go ahead, Audrey. Right. So they can always call the DCFS hotline, but if they're actually truly concerned, a lot of people just call the police department and right. say and make a complaint or um, a concern, a report, and just see if they can. The officers can go and do a well-being check on a certain person. They can do it for adults. They can do it for children. So officers do that all the time, and they don't say who made the call or did the report, but officers go to homes, apartments all the time saying they're just there to do a well-being check to make sure everything's okay. So that's an option, too, because that's a quicker result than waiting for DCFS to process it from the hotline and send it to the local field office for DCFS for it to be assigned a caseworker who then goes. If you need something immediate, a police officer is the way to go. Yeah, let me just read their exact language that they have. Call the 24-hour child abuse hotline at 825-ABUSE if you suspect that the child has been harmed or is at risk of being harmed uh, by abuse or neglect. And if you believe the child is in imminent danger of harm, call 911. There's also an online reporting system, but that is just for non-emergency situations. Okay, so... I would love to think that everyone out there makes legitimate claims to DCFS, and um, that's all it is, right? It's 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 really well-meaning people uh, making really important calls. But as we talked about it briefly, that isn't always the case. And Audrey, this is where I feel like you do come in as someone who uh, often represents kids or represents families that are dealing with DCFS, and. Um, because, you know, regardless of the situations, especially if you feel like you've done nothing wrong as a parent, you do want a lawyer present if DCFS does one of these investigations. That's what you're entitled to. And why is that important? 
Right. It's important. Even if you did something wrong or if you didn't do something wrong, to have an attorney present just to help you answer the questions and to walk you through the process, it can be overwhelming. And the thought of losing your child or having a child, especially a young child, removed from your home to go to complete stranger is horrifying. So it's important to have an attorney there to walk you through the process, but also to deal with the caseworker, follow up with the caseworker, the caseworker's supervisor or the area administrator to, to help you. A lot of times the allegations can be reported by someone who is not well-intentioned. We were talking about why the role of a defense attorney like yourself is important when DCFS uh, gets involved. And we should again preface this by saying that DCFS, quite rightfully so, investigates all claims. They don't know whether they're legitimate or illegitimate or if it's a gray area. So they deserve to be treated with complete respect when they, when they arrive at the door. That's correct. They do. I apologize for earlier, too. But yes, so they do. DCFS is required to investigate all of them. So the very serious ones or ones that could be minor, the DCFS caseworkers really truly have no idea. Right. If you don't get someone like yourself or another lawyer there, you could end up in a situation where your child is taken from you for reasons that were not properly explained to you, to the child, and you may be kind of left in the dark on that, right? Right. So then at that point, you're absolutely going to be needing an attorney and it's going to be even more complicated because you'll be in court on a juvenile child abuse case and you'll be in front of the judge. And that is a significant, long uphill battle and a long process to go to court and have all the hearings and things like that. So when the child is taken away from you, yes, the only way to get that child back is through the court system. It's not like a after 30 days, all kids are returned back to you if everything's okay. No, you've got to then the onus is then on you to prove that your home is stable. Am I getting that right? Right. So when a child is removed, the parents or guardians are brought to court within 48 business hours, excluding weekends and holidays. And so then you have an initial hearing to determine whether or not there was a basis and no other alternatives besides moving a child. If the judge agrees with DCFS, then the case gets continued again, but your child still is not at your home. They're still with a a foster family or some other placement. So it could be six months, nine months, or a year before a child actually gets returned home to you. When should someone call someone like you? Is it when the police get involved, the moment someone shows up at the DCF from DCFS to your home? Is it Should everyone have your number saved in their cell phone or on the fridge just in case something happens that they aren't expecting like that? Right. Everyone should reach out to an attorney as quickly as possible because the sooner you have an attorney involved, the easier it would be for you and for the process. And I know a lot of clients or people that call me say, well, having an attorney, doesn't it look like I'm guilty? No, it's definitely not. DCFS doesn't look at it that way. They look at it more of a nuisance, but they don't presume then that you're guilty just because you have an attorney. It's someone to help you. And sometimes a lot of the caseworkers are relieved when there's an attorney who knows the DCFS process to help explain it because it makes their job easier as well in dealing with the parents. Yeah, it's almost nice to know that they have someone on their side. It probably, imagine, helps tension stay lower as well in a very intense situation. 630-877-5800, that's the best way to people to reach you, AndersonAA.com for Anderson Attorneys and Advisors. I also just want to point out that I've been kind of painting this picture that you represent parents that have done nothing wrong, that they're just called out of the blue by someone, which I know happens. 
But there are parents out there that do make mistakes, right? And they uh, there are things wrong, maybe not a, to the far end of the extremes that people think. But the end goal, I imagine, between yourself, between judges, between DCFS, is to ultimately end up in a situation where that child's parents are able to raise them safely. So there can be some situations where you can advocate for parents that did make mistakes, who can turn their lives around, who can then raise their children after the fact. Right, exactly. Because sometimes it's a parent that's lost their job and they get angry and there's a a domestic incident between the parents. Well, that's an accident, Um, a one-time, perhaps, isolated incident. So should that damage the family forever? No, so I step in. Or, um, unfortunately, a a parent, if they've gotten into an accident, then, unfortunately, if they get addicted to painkillers or drugs Mm -hmm. or alcohol, you know, they need services, but that doesn't mean they're not a good person, that they're not a good parent, or they don't love their children. It's just someone to walk them through and realize it's not hopeless, that we're there for them to explain the process and advocate on their behalf that they're still a good person, but they just made a mistake. Right. And I know that that sometimes when people, you know, we all think we live these perfect lives sometimes, or we like to pretend like we do, we we think that, oh my gosh, I would never get in a scenario like that. But when you do stop and think of the mistakes that do get made and how one mistake, I mean, there are exceptions to this, of course, but one mistake should not make one's life and determine whether they are good or bad based on that one mistake, for the most part, of course, besides those exceptions. Um, and we deserve a chance, at least, or someone advocating on our behalf. And having said that, I did kind of flippantly say, but there really are cases where the neighbor calls on someone because they're angry about something else. And people say to me all the time, that doesn't happen, does it? Audrey, please tell us that you know of cases that where that's happened. I 100% know of cases where that's happened, and unfortunately have represented very good people and parents where an angry neighbor has called because it's a dispute over, you know, trees or something going into one's property, or they feel like they would do something different when to parent a child. And so they call. So a hundred percent that happens with uh, an angry or a neighbor that calls DCFS on a family. Do something different as a parent. Like maybe they just don't like the way that the parenting is done and they have an opinion on that. So they use the arm of the DCFS to try and change it. Correct. Like if they don't like the way they they see a child being disciplined, if they're not disciplined enough, or if one family believes in um, corporal punishment, like spanking, spanking on the, yeah. a child's bottom, right, exactly, or a timeout, or they don't feel like a parent is doing enough. Say if they're teenage kids and the parents are like, just stop it, but there are no consequences. Sometimes a neighbor will call on those families to think that they need to do more to parent that teenager. So there's a variety of reasons, unfortunately, why people can call. All right. They are maybe well-intentioned, but not really. Yeah, no, exactly. Or they're being safe instead of sorry, which I don't want to discourage that from people, right? I think that that's a good, a good line to have. So if you are concerned about something that you've seen, you can call the 24-hour child abuse hotline at 800-252-2873, 800-25-ABUSE, or if it's an urgent thing, call 911. If you're someone that is dealing with DCFS and needs someone, Audrey Anderson's a great person to look for, 630-877-5800, AndersonAA.com. And always delicate conversation to have, Audrey, and I appreciate you sharing some time with us today, okay? It's my pleasure. Thank you so much again for having me on. Yeah, we'll talk again soon.